Hello and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Marketing Society Earth Day 2022 panel. The topic is food and beverage driving the future of sustainability. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale, the branding firm, and a member of the board, the New York City Board, of the Marketing Society, the global network of marketers who want to make a difference. Increasingly, shoppers are paying close attention to the environmental impact of their purchases when selecting brands. Nowhere is this more evident than in the food and beverage category. The 2021 Food and Health Survey by the International Food Information Council found that 42% of U.S. consumers believe their food choices have a moderate or significant impact on the environment. And there is ample evidence for this view. For example, according to U.S. News and World Report, a quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions come from food. For their part, businesses, specifically food and beverage companies, are increasing investments in environmental sustainability processes, from sourcing sustainable products, cutting waste, improving packaging, and collaborating with stakeholders from manufacturers to suppliers, retailers, community organizations, and regulatory agencies. Today, I'm joined by four marketing leaders to explore sustainability. They will share examples of initiatives that they are undertaking in the food and beverage industry and the lessons they are learning along the way. Given that food and beverage is at the forefront of the sustainability conversation, no doubt there will be insights for marketers in all categories as well. After we meet the panelists, I will have individual conversations with each speaker. Speakers, as I introduce you, please answer the following question in one word. What word best describes where you are on your sustainability journey as a brand. Let's first welcome Linda Bethay, Head of Marketing at Danone, joining me here in New York. A very good morning, Linda. Good morning. Happy to be here. And what is your word, please, Linda? I would say we are ahead in our sustainability ahead. journey. Ahead. Okay, we'll get back to that momentarily. Next, let's go to Dallas, Texas, to greet Kira Dilly, Vice President, Better Choice Snacking Brands, Frito-Lay North America, a PepsiCo company. Hello, Kira, bright and early. What's your word? Hey, good morning again, everybody. So lovely to be here. My word is transforming. 
transforming. Let's now go to Jim Ruane, also in New York. And Jim is the vice president of Reserve Vodkas at Diageo. Good morning and good afternoon, everybody. Our word is ambitious. Ambitious. A lot of positivity this morning. I love it. All right. So now let's go to Dubai to greet Ziad Kamel, the vice president of global brands at Katobi and a restaurateur. What is your word and good afternoon, Ziad? Good morning, everyone in the U.S., and good afternoon, those of you at this part of the world. Our one word that describes sustainability is progressing. Progressing. Okay, so with those four very provocative words, let's begin our chat with Linda. Linda, you said your word was ahead. Tell us why. Sure. So Danone is one of the top 15 food and beverage companies in the U.S. And so our goal is really to make delicious food that nourishes people and planet. But we want to do so in a sustainable way. With the glowing climate crisis and the inequities in the world, we believe that we have a role to play in contributing to the greater good. And so we had actually made a commitment as a company to become a certified B Corp by 2020. And we actually achieved that goal ahead of schedule in 2018. And that is truly due to the commitment of everyone that works at Danone. We are all behind our corporate vision of One Planet, One Health. We truly believe that the health of people is connected to the health of the planet and that we have a role to play in ensuring that it stays healthy given everything going on in the world. And as a B Corp, for those that don't know what that means, essentially we're committed to using business as a force for good. We're going to balance purpose with profit. And so while we still have financial interests and commitments that we need to uphold, we're balancing those with the good that we want to create in society for people and planet. So Linda, just to make sure everyone's clear, name a few brands that are under Danone. Yes. Few people know the name of the parent company, but folks know we have a beloved portfolio of over 20 food and beverage brands in the yogurt space. We have Oikos, Activia, Danimals, Light and Fit. Uh, we have Horizon Organic Dairy brand. We have a huge and growing plant-based business with Silk, Silk Almond, Silk Soy, Silk Oat, So Delicious Dairy Free. We have an Evian water business. We have a fast-growing ready-to-drink coffee business with Stoke Cold Brew and a huge international delight coffee creamer business as well. Fantastic. So certainly we're all customers. I'm certainly a significant customer of your brands. So tell us at this point, you mentioned the B Corp thing. That's really interesting. When a company elects to be a, a B Corp, so, so talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, it's quite an involved process and the motivations for it and, and the impact of it on your culture internally and also your communications more broadly. Yes, it is an extensive certification process, which is why we're very proud to have achieved it ahead of our stated timeline, um, because you go through an extensive audit process, making sure that you know, the commitments you're making and the way you go about doing business fits their standards. So again, we are a company, we're a business, we have financial interests, but we're making sure that as we're achieving those, we're doing it the right way. So as you produce food and beverage products, there are impacts to the environment. We're making sure that we're doing 
you know, manufacturing our food and drinks in a sustainable way and offsetting any harm that we are making um, on the environment as we do so. We also believe in transparency. Consumers today want to know how their food and beverage products are made. And so we're completely transparent about how we produce them, the impact that it has, and the commitments we're making to offset those. Tremendous. And I understand that Dano North America is now the largest certified B company, B Corp in the world, which is we are very quite very remarkable work for a company that I mean, we're truly putting our money where our mouth is. We believe in this mission. We believe that, you know, as citizens of this planet, we have a role to play in ensuring its future. Um, and we go to work every day with that mission. So against that backdrop, Linda, what's the biggest challenge you're dealing with at present as it pertains to sustainability? I think it's, you know, there's multiple challenges that we face every day. These days, I would say the supply chain is the biggest challenge. You know, food waste is a huge problem across the world. Over one third of the world's food um, gets wasted, and that's a huge contributor to some of the climate issues we're facing. So we're really looking across the supply chain on how we can reduce food waste. One of our yogurt brands, Too Good, um, is really committed to leading the charge on that. So again, we have a corporate purpose of One Planet, One Health, but we bring that down to the brand level and we find a way that's authentic and unique to each brand to ladder back up to that corporate commitment. And for Too Good, it's all about tackling food waste. They believe in doing more with less. And so they're looking at how to reduce food waste across the entire supply chain in everything they do. So for example, we have a product line within Too Good called Good Save, that uses 100% rescued produce. So produce that would otherwise get sent to landfills and contribute to carbon emissions, we're rescuing that and using it in delicious products like our lemon yogurt, which is 100% using rescued lemons and it tastes delicious. We also have something we call our One Cup Less Hunger program, where for every cup of Too Good Yogurt purchased, we rescue and donate a meal to someone in need. In addition to food waste, food insecurity is a huge issue in the U.S. Um, And to date, we've been able to donate over 35 million meals to people in need using food that would otherwise be wasted. So some great ways that that brand is taking this seriously and, you know, laddering up to our commitment to do good. I touched on in the beginning, Linda, the idea that a lot of companies are forming partnerships to collaborate in advancing this goal. Is there a partnership that you would like to highlight that is meaningful? We have a number of partners that are helping us along this journey with Too Good. We could not do that alone. Uh, It's a complicated problem. So we are partnering with various companies that help us rescue and donate the food. Locally, City Harvest is one that we work with here in New York City. And then we work with other partners across many of our brands. Evian Water is one of our bigger brands. And, you know, as everyone knows, single-use plastic is a huge problem across the world. And so we're working very hard to ensure that all of our Evian single-use bottles are made from 100% recycled plastic by 2025. But beyond that, we're leveraging partners to help us do unique and innovative things. So for example, this past year, we partnered with Rothy's and we actually made Rothy's shoes out of recycled Evian bottles that we collected at the U.S. Open. So those are some fun, unique ways that we're trying to take sustainability and transform our products in new and different ways. What's your sense for how consumers are responding to this? Firstly, how aware are they of those initiatives? And from your perspective, how meaningful 
meaningful are they in their product choice compared to other attributes like price or, and you continually reference the deliciousness of the food? How does the whole mix uh, result in purchase behavior? Yeah, I think taste and price will always be critically important in the food and beverage industry, and we can't lose sight of that. But more and more consumers are becoming aware of the impact that their choices have on the health of them of people and planet. And so for us, it's about how do you balance those? How do we deliver delicious products that taste great, are at an affordable price, but are still doing good in the world? Because that's the sweet spot. And again, more and more consumers are making choices to invest behind brands and companies that are doing that. What about you personally, Linda? You mentioned a lot of passion around working for a certified B Comp, and it's very, it's very palpable, your passion. Have you made any changes in your lifestyle and your choices as it pertains to sustainability? Absolutely. You know, I try to live my purpose at home as well as at work. And my town actually recently started a food scraps program that my daughter and I participate in. So we collect our food scraps every week and bring them down to the food scraps collection center so that those get recycled and reused versus wasted as you know landfill. So that's one thing we're doing along this journey. Marvelous. What's the town? I live in Pelham, New York, outside of the Pelham. city. Wonderful. Well, thank, thank you for that, Linda. Very, very interesting. All right. So now let's go to Texas, to Kira. So Kira, your word. Tell us, what was your word and why? Did I have transforming, right? Yes, transforming, because I think this is a journey for all of us. Um, we would love to get to an end goal and the ultimate 100% of whatever we're trying to achieve tomorrow. But it is a it is a very new muscle, I think, for all of our organizations. Um, whether it's you know the materials, the partners, how our brands show up. But I think, Margaret, it's so important that we keep moving forward because it is difficult. It is challenging. And you're trying to balance delivering the business with doing the right thing and doing good. So I think we have to be humble enough to understand that progress is good and that it is an evolution. And it's something we, we need to keep moving forward, that we can't lose faith. We have to keep moving forward. So that, for me, is why transforming really describes the journey we're on at the moment. The other reason I mention it, Margaret, is because it has had a massive impact on our organization. And, and I uh, so um, empathize and, and are inspired by what Linda just said, because it is I see it having an impact across every part of the organization, whether it's the marketing department or the supply chain or procurement. It truly has woken the organization up in a very positive way to say that, you know, this is not just a corporate responsibility. It's for each and every one of us to be able to make a difference. And that's really exciting because that's the, that's then when really the magic happens, when you have the power of your employees and resources coming to, to try and make a difference. I imagine, Kira, that lends itself to innovation in many ways. Is there an example that you would share, be it be around innovation or marketing, as it relates to the company's efforts around sustainability? Yes. I think there's two I would mention, Margaret. One is around just the core innovation metrics that we now use. So we have a whole program that as we launch new innovations, we must meet certain sustainability criteria. And that can be things like the amount of good that it goes into the food, the sodium levels, you know, the sat fat levels, et cetera, because that's very important for us. 
But as well as that, it's around the recyclability of the packaging, the packaging that we are using, the, the sourcing that we are using. Linda spoke about transparency in the ag side. So all of those are now parts of the criteria before we can launch any new innovation, which is a huge step forward. The other piece I'd mention is on our one of our packaging innovations around off the eaten path, which is a wonderful veggie snack that, that is in my portfolio. And we have now launched the first industrially compostable snack bag in the entire US. And that was a huge step change for us. And it's not just for us. It's also we know that if we can do this as the largest snack company in the US, if not in the world, we can bring others with us. You know, we can start to make this material uh, commercially viable for more and more companies. So I think that's been a great source of excitement for, for the company, but also for the brand. It's a huge story um, on the brand side as well. I may have seen that brand in Whole Foods, did I? You did, Be Margaret. You did, because that's actually where we are piloting the, the, the compostable bag at the moment is in Whole Foods. And you know, I want to mention that relationship very, because sometimes we hear people talk about purpose or sustainability doesn't drive business results. I couldn't disagree more with that statement. I think Linda gives some great examples already as to why it does drive business results. But also, you know, that the partnership with Whole Foods was unique. It was the first time that we had been able to list one of our own built products in, in Frito-Lay with Whole Foods. And it was because of what we were doing in this space that they looked very differently at us and said, you are a company and you are a brand we want to partner with. So I think that's a very interesting, as you look at the business results, that this can really drive profitable business results as well. I'm also curious deeply about the consumer. And there is so much talk about consumers' enthusiasm around sustainability. Do you have any data or anything that you can point to that suggests this is more than a myth? Yeah, you know, the data is there, Margaret. There's an awesome study that was done about two to three years ago by Cole Porter Novelli, if anybody wants to look it up, which is just fantastic in terms of looking at the levels of interest, where the interest is most, what areas consumers are interested in, you know, what areas of purpose for example, sustainability, but also societal issues, et cetera. So that's that's very, very clear. I think the thing that we've noticed recently is that, and Linda mentioned it, whilst the interest is very high, the balance is that many consumers are saying to us, but we expect you large organizations to do it for us. You know, we expect you to take the steps. So we're interested in saving the planet, in using less water, in having recyclable materials but we're not going to pay more for it and we need you to lead the charge. So I think that's just an interesting balance and an interesting tension we have to watch as we move in these areas is to understand where the consumer is on the journey, but always be further ahead because yes, as Linda said, we have a responsibility. The other watch out we've noticed recently, and I do think this is one of the effects we're seeing through the pandemic is there is a level of jadedness amongst consumers about some of these topics and also a level of, my goodness, will we ever make progress? And you think yes. about some of the stories on the environment, you think of post-COP in Glasgow, you think of some of the headlines that come out on a weekly basis. And consumers are like, oh my gosh, I, are we actually making any a difference here? Is there progress to be you know, being made? So I think that's a great opportunity, Margaret, for companies and brands to tell positive stories and to show tangible ways that we are making progress so in our messaging to consumers, we have to be careful not to be too broad and too vague. We can we have great opportunities to be very specific in when you buy this, this is the difference you are making. And by the way, over the last you know quarter, over the last six months, 
this is what your contribution has done and this is the progress we've made. So I think consumers are very much looking for positive stories from us at this moment. Very interesting insight. And this notion of going beyond the vague to the specific at a human level. Kira, there's some questions coming in around, is there anything we're dissatisfied with? Anything you feel progress is not? You, you made the observation that it's a journey and the humility of that was intriguing. Anything that makes you feel disappointed or not quite where you'd like it to be just yet? You know, I think the overall ecosystem is a real challenge, Margaret. So if I take it to the example I've mentioned about compostable packaging, you know, the system in the US, for example, it is really hard to find recycling facilities. It is really, you know, in many municipalities, Linda mentioned there the scrap system in her in her town. When I lived in Europe, we had our bio collected every week from our front door. It was easy to, to make those steps. So I think local governments, local agencies really need to step up and play their part. I'm not saying it's their role. We're taking our responsibility uber seriously. But I think the support systems need to step up a lot more and, and really um, provide the facilities to make it easier for consumers and to make it easier for the, the elements that we're bringing as an organization to make that progress. So I think that's the part that frustrates me a little bit, Margaret, is that sometimes the, the systems aren't fully in place to make this fully circular, fully end to end. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I see some great comments and questions coming in in the chat. Keep them coming and feel free to share the links to the studies that Linda and other speakers are referencing or examples of that marketing. Kira, I asked Linda about what she's doing personally. And um, maybe maybe you would also answer that question. How personal is this for you? Yeah, it, it's super personal for me, Margaret. And I think it does. I'm very much with Linda in terms of it starts with us showing an example for the next generation. Um, so I have two boys and they are very involved in, in lots of different things where we're trying to make sure that we don't have any single use plastic in the house. It's easier than one might think, but we, you know, we try really hard with our lunch boxes, with everything that we're using. We have our bio collection. So as I said, we don't have a collection facility in Dallas, but we found a wonderful female founded organization and they collect our bio and then give us back our, our compost every month. The kids are trying to do vegetable gardens. We talk a lot about travel. We take less train trip or airline trips. Now that's been easy through the pandemic. So now we're being much more intentional about, okay, if we're going to do a trip, how do we pay that back? Uh, where do we, you know, where do we invest in, you know, in paying back our carbon emissions? So I just think it's an ongoing conversation that we have to be having and showing an example with our youth. And I think it is interesting. I mean, I did a panel yesterday internally and there was somebody from Pakistan, there was somebody, myself, and there was somebody from Dubai. And we all talked about the same thing about passing those messages to our younger generation and also how much more educated children are in schools nowadays. Every single one of the parents on the call could talk about how no matter which country in the world, their children were learning about this. And that gives me hope, Margaret. That gives me hope that the next generation will be even more vehement, even more vocal and even more articulate. But it does. It, that's not to say that we, we abdicate our responsibility. We have a huge opportunity to support them and, and bring them with us. Yes, certainly, Kira. And if my children are anything to go by, quite argumentative as well. <laughs> they will challenge the data. They will look and find that data. And it's so accessible. They will hold us all to account. So thank you for sharing those examples. And lots of feedback in the chat about 
the merits and effectiveness of positive storytelling to the consumer. So thank you all for that. So let's go from food directly to very concretely beverages and welcome back Jim Ruin of Diageo. So Jim, your word was ambitious. Tell us why. Well, uh, ambition befits the global leader in beverage alcohol, which is Diageo. We've got over 200 brands. And if you're an adult and you choose to drink, you may have responsibly enjoyed Johnny Walker, Crown Royal, Kettle One Vodka, Don Julio Tequila, Captain Morgan Rum, Bullet Bourbon, Guinness, and many, many others. And our performance ambition is to be one of the best performing, most trusted and respected consumer products companies in the world. What we call green to glass sustainability is critical in earning trust, meeting consumer demands and driving business performance, especially you think about investors increasingly evaluating both financial and non-financial metrics. So sustainability, to sum it all up, is really quite central to the achievement of Diageo's performance ambition. So we must be ambitious. And it's critical to the values that we embrace as ambassadors of that ambition. And as part of our updated 10-year ESG action plan, which is called Society 2030, we've created new, more ambitious targets aimed at preserving the natural resources on which we all depend. So we're tackling carbon reduction, waste, water preservation, biodiversity loss, and packaging sustainability. And our targets and many of our activities do sit at the Diageo corporate level. But as many others have said before, our brands are what consumers experience. So we do approach sustainability as an opportunity to engage consumers in novel, creative ways in line with their own increasing expectations of brands, which Kira uh, so eloquently mentioned. And I take a brand that I look after, which is Kettle One Vodka. It's an incredible vodka. It's made in the Netherlands, which is a pretty progressive place. And our sustainability platform is called Doing Good taste better. And we work with bartenders around the world to create zero waste cocktails using things like ugly produce, uh, syrups made from the rinds of used citrus garnishes that otherwise would have been discarded and other frequently wasted ingredients at home. And in the process, providing a million meals to those in need, which really brings the notion of sustainability and the broadest definition of sustainability full circle to include the communities in which we operate. Jim, I'd love to unpack that. A lot of great perspectives there. You you used an interesting Mm -hmm. phrase that I appreciated, from green to glass, which really, I think, encompasses holistically the supply chain and, and indeed the ecosystem that Linda referenced earlier. Talk to me about some aspects of that. Let's look at water, for example. In the production of your product, water plays a big role. You don't have beverages without water. And water is one of the big issues that so many of us are aware of in terms of at risk in the environment and impacting people in in many different parts of the world. Give, Give us some perspective on the Diageo view on water usage. Water, preserving water is one of the critical pillars of our uh, grain to glass sustainability platform. And as such, we're committed to preserving and replenishing water everywhere we operate. And our targets are to ensure that every drink we produce by 2030 will take 30% less water to make than it does today, as well as working towards a low carbon future, reducing emissions and uh, putting biodiversity back into the environment. And we have uh, engaged in a number of community partnerships across the world. Most notably in 2020, we renewed a 4 million pound 
five-year partnership with an organization called WaterAid um, to help transform lives with clean water, decent toilets, and good hygiene in communities that are in desperate need of that resource. Jim, you mentioned one of the other hot topics and indeed a subject of its own panel, the notion of ESGs and the investor community's enthusiasm for companies that are demonstrating progress on sustainability. Anything at the highest levels you would share with our audience, particularly knowing our audience are marketers? With with regard to investor interest in ESG? Well, many folks may have actually seen uh, recent news from the SEC that will be demanding greater transparency and consistency in the reporting of non-financial and ESG-related metrics. So it's no longer an excuse not to include your sustainability metrics in your integrated reporting structure. And we see that the investment community is demanding that the corporate community be responsible citizens within the communities that they operate, because ultimately consumers are demanding that as well. So investors do see that doing good is good business. And as as we've put our 2030 grain to glass commitment in place, we have started to include concrete progress reports on things like water preservation, carbon reduction, waste reduction, pack and packaging sustainability in our annual reports to our investors. Talk specifically about your ambitions around net zero carbon emissions and perhaps an example there. Sure. Look, Diageo is looking to accelerate towards a low carbon future. And our goal is to uh, harness 100% renewable energy and achieve net zero carbon across all of our direct operations by 2030. And we'll be working with suppliers to reduce our indirect emissions or scope three emissions by 50% by 2030. Now, a great example of how we have embraced what Kira called a total business effort to tackle that carbon reduction challenge is within our American whiskey portfolio. We've recently built our first North American carbon neutral distillery in Lebanon, Kentucky, which produces bullet bourbon. And this distillery is powered by wind, by solar energy, and it sources 100% non-GMO corn locally. We just announced plans to build our very first Canadian carbon neutral distillery for Crown Royal uh, in Ontario in 2025. And it's really not just new distilleries that are getting in on the action. We're transitioning our Valleyfield Canada manufacturing facility to become carbon neutral by 2025. And those are all within our supply organization, but you know this is a marketing audience, and, and we're also here to talk about brands. And at the marketing level, uh, Bullet Bourbon has partnered with American Forests, which is the oldest national nonprofit conservation organization in the United States, to plant one million trees over the course of five years. Uh, and it's really all about battling climate change by means of reforestation efforts and forging a more sustainable future for our communities. And to date, nearly half a million seedlings have been planted, restoring over 300 acres of oak forest, which is the equivalent of about 230 football fields. So what, what I think is a great example of total business effort um, that includes a marketing uh, lens to the front end of our consumers. And I also appreciate how you're making it tangible with that marketing lens, referencing the football field, something we can relate to. I'm going to ask you briefly to touch on one of the most complex issues, I think, when I look at environmental issues and measurement. This concept, you touched on scope three. So maybe at the highest levels, can you set us straight? Scope one, scope two, scope three. And how should consumers be mindful of the fact that we're not double counting here? 
Sure. This is this is one of the hottest uh, topics within the ESG world. Scope one and scope two, for those who aren't familiar, are essentially the emissions that result from your direct operations, facilities you own, trucks you own, the kind of back end of your operations, and the energy used to power those facilities, vehicles, et cetera. Scope three is all of the upstream and downstream carbon and carbon emissions that are associated with both the production, sale, and end-of-life use of your product. So if you think of your suppliers as well as your distributors, retailers, and consumers. And to uh, provide some context, within Diageo, scope one and scope two comprise 10% of our total emissions footprint. Scope three comprises 90% of our total emissions footprint. So we have a clear action plan to uh, eliminate scope one and scope two carbon emissions. The remaining 90% of emissions um, is, is really where the next uh, horizon is. And I think that's perhaps one of the most misunderstood concepts out there, Jim. So thank you for spending a moment on that. Consumers don't entirely always appreciate the, the implications of the different contributors, really, to the challenge. Um, anything you would finally say, say on that, Jim, for how do consumers, Kira touched on it, feel some hope in this regard? Well, sustainability continues to move from the periphery into the mainstream, which is really a wonderful dynamic that we've observed. Uh, consumers are more knowledgeable, they're more engaged, and they're placing greater scrutiny on things like sourcing, production, and ingredient quality. That said, this greater awareness of the systemic nature of this issue has brought greater awareness of consumers' own limitations of what they can do as individuals. And as Kira mentioned, they're really looking for brands to step in and take action. And this is true whether sustainability is central to the brand narrative or not. So doing nothing as a brand manager is not an option. So within the alcoholic beverage se sector, and to provide some statistics here, we had just seen a stat in the drinks industry ESG trends report to suggest that 56% of consumers do consider a company's green credentials when choosing a brand. And this jibes with a recent National Retail Federation and IBM study, which suggested that 57% of consumers are willing to change their purchasing habits to help reduce negative environmental impact. So that, that to me is a a clear trend line on what consumers are looking for in brand purchasing decisions. But this isn't something that you need to look to a study um, to tell you that, it, that consumers value it. You go out to the bar and you see with your own eyes the increasing prevalence of cocktail menus, specifically calling out sustainably made spirits. You talk to bartenders who enthusiastically embrace the idea of zero waste drinks. So I think there is there's hope for everybody. Um, and Diageo certainly is leaning into that hope and expectation as we strive toward our 2030 ambition. Thank you for that, Jim. And, and I think those stats are powerful because in many organizations, there is a need to justify the investments that are required and the shifts that are required in order to achieve ambition. So I appreciate your sharing those for other marketers in the audience. Let's now finally go to Dubai, where Ziad Kamel is waiting very patiently of a Kitobi and a restaurateur as well as the technology. And I believe your word was progressing. Very, very fitting with the conversations thus far, Ziad. Very fitting indeed. So maybe a little bit of a background on what Kitobi is. Kitobi certainly is the youngest company amongst the panelists here today. So Kitopi was founded in 2018, so just four years ago. So um, we're the new kids on the block. However, we have grown incredibly fast in these four years. 
We have grown from zero to 4,000 employees. We've grown from zero brands to 200 owned and franchised brands. Kitopi first started off as a tech-powered cloud kitchen company. So we were solving the problem of on-demand food delivery. And we grew incredibly fast in the region. The pandemic saw a shift in consumer behavior from going out to ordering in, and that added rocket fuel to our growth. And uh, you know, this presented many opportunities as it did many challenges. So today, Katopi is best described as a tech-powered multi-brand restaurant company. We operate 200 owned or franchise brands across five countries in the Middle East, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Kuwait, and Bahrain. So we are trying to balance this incredibly fast-paced growth and all the operational complexity that comes with it, in addition to thinking about sustainability and implementing and balancing sustainable practices. Now, being in a fast growth mode and one of the newest companies or youngest companies here, what we do have is agility, and we are able to pivot, I would say, maybe quicker than much larger companies that are truly global players and have been around for decades. So when I say progressing, it means that we are continuously reevaluating our sustainability objectives and shifting our strategies to meet consumer demand and meet sustainability growth. I'll give you an example. Running a restaurant, whether it's a cloud kitchen or a traditional restaurant, is extremely uh, let's say, has a heavy carbon footprint, right? It's high in utilities. It's high in, in when it comes to delivery. Uh, there's a lot of packaging. There is then what this, you know, scope three, supply chain. And I would say also that there's the delivery aspect, right? The partners who we work with to deliver your food. So we are continuously making progress on all fronts. And I'm going to highlight on one of maybe the, the biggest impacts that we've made is on packaging. As you know, the, the shift in, in food and restaurant delivery means that instead of consumers eating on a ceramic plate that then is sent to dishwashing, all of a sudden consumers want on-demand food. They want it now and they want it in you know, less than 20 or 30 minutes. The food then is packaged in multiple range of packaging. We've seen already a massive improvement in the supply chain and in working with our partners to move away from what used to be almost 100% plastic containers to now sustainable, biodegradable, uh, reusable, or uh, recyclable packaging containers. We have taken steps to ensure that the consumer journey or the consumer experience isn't negatively affected while also ensuring that our sustainability metrics are kept. You know, over from, from zero orders four years ago to more than 10 million delivery orders annually today and growing at a super fast rate, small or like let's say uh, we have uh, small decisions can have massive impacts, such as working with our delivery partners to not make it a default like it used to be to have 
cutlery delivered with every food order. So now consumers can also join us and make an active decision to say, hey, look, I don't need cutlery. I'm ordering home. So they get to toggle that button on and off. So the default now is off on cutlery. Not only that, we knew from data and research that one of the biggest polluters were plastic cutlery, right? That, that, that was a massive problem, single-use plastics. So not only did we make it an option for consumers to choose, but we also went fully sustainable and fully biodegradable cutlery. I'm sure you've seen those maybe bamboo or wooden, wooden sourced materials uh, wrapped in paper rather than plastic. And this, this kind of thinking went on to all kinds of packaging, right? And we had a lot of problems to solve, like how do we send hot soup in a, a recyclable or biodegradable package and, and not have it leak through by the time it gets to you, right? And in a very short amount of time, and we made this commitment on sustainability, just three years into our existence last year, we've already achieved an incredible you know, 50% of our packaging now is either recyclable or biodegradable. And we continue to progress and work and innovate with our, uh, with our suppliers on that front. So that's packaging in a nutshell. When it comes to delivery, we're also working with our partners. And again, this is, this is an ecosystem like, like the rest of the uh, panelists were saying, but we continue to push for using a third party or using our delivery partners that operate electric vehicles or electric motorcycles rather than gas powered ones, right? Or, or bicycles or you know, human powered vehicles. Uh, and that also cuts out, let's say, carbon emissions from restaurants to consumer, which wasn't there before the online delivery business skyrocketed. So that's just a few things to describe why we say progressing. We haven't solved all the problems, but we're progressing towards it. Well, thank you for, for those wonderful examples. And we are getting lots of questions around packaging. So thanks for double clicking on that for us. So, so talk to us, Ziad, just so our listeners and viewers in the region are aware, what brands would they know um, Katopi by? Well, look, um, if you are in the region, you probably know a lot of the homegrown heroes or regional heroes. If you're from Saudi Arabia, you'll probably know Shobak. Um, if you're in the UAE, you would probably know uh, Japan, Zat al Circle Cafe. If you're from the US, one of our big licensed brand partners are the Fat Brands. So that's Johnny Rockets, Fat Burger, Buffaloes. So these are some of our uh, you know, 200 brands that you may recognize, whether you're from the US or the region. And we operate them in your standard classic restaurants. What we also do and what has made us really separate us from the pack is our incredibly unique cloud kitchen infrastructure, where you know, by itself, I feel is a, a step towards sustainability. So in one facility, we can operate up to 50 brands. So we cross-optimize our infrastructure and operate 50 brands, whereas before the world of cloud kitchens, each one of these 50 brands would have to possibly open an independent location in order to serve that catchment area. So just the fact that we are looking at the multi-brand restaurant company, we are already taking a step towards consolidating infrastructure and utilities. Even in our standalone restaurants, whereas the customer-facing brand may be one of the brands you recognize, what's coming out of the kitchen for delivery are multiple other brands. 
So we are using the same infrastructure and the same facilities in order to optimize and push more brands out. Now, yes, that is good for business, but I feel that's also great for uh, optimizing utilities and becoming more sustainable with our carbon footprint. So Ziad, I want to make sure that everyone's clear on terms. Cloud kitchen, how, how would you define that succinctly? In very simple terms, a cloud kitchen is a restaurant that does not have a dining room to it. So customers can't rock up to a cloud kitchen and order. The only way a consumer would be able to order from the cloud kitchen is online through your favorite delivery app. So Zia, talk to us about cost and, if you will, profitability and the implications, because a lot of the discussion around packaging and the innovations that you referenced at first blush may appear expensive. How are you finding your ability to essentially make that investment and how are consumers responding to that? Is it reflected in your pricing? What are you seeing? What's the data showing in these early days? Yeah, I think Linda said it best. Like consumers choose price and taste above all. Uh, I think sustainability some to some consumers is a romantic notion. But as soon as you add a maybe $1 increment on a $20 order, that becomes a barrier to purchase, right? So, so I think it's not just the onus doesn't fall just on us, also falls on the consumers. Are consumers willing to spend you know, one, two to 5% more on their order if they believe that the order is more sustainable. And obviously, as we continue to innovate, the, the breakthroughs in innovation, what we've seen, if we go towards packaging that's fully sustainable, it adds a considerable cost onto the product and the business may not become economically viable until that sustainability until that sustainable packaging manages to scale and lower in costs, right, for us. It's a fine balance. Is What do we do? Do we increase the prices on our consumers now and risk maybe harming an entire business, right? Or do we go gradual as, it, as the barriers to entry or the barriers to purchasing these sustainable uh, packaging becomes lower? But we have seen, again, like sometimes we take the decision to absorb the cost and not pass it on to the consumers. And it's not a one glove fits all solution. Some brands which are more premium can absorb it a lot easier and the consumers for that specific food brand or restaurant brand may have stronger purchasing power and may very well be happy to pay more. So uh, for a sustainable packaging or sustainable cutlery. So we are tackling it brand for brand, market by brand market and working very closely with our suppliers and also our partners to create that demand on the supply chain that will then further push down the price of things like packaging. Yeah. Ziet, what would your advice be to an emerging food company? I've observed, and I know Kira works with many early stage food companies. You've had, you've had some great success. What would your brief advice be to entrepreneurs who are entering this space and who are navigating that balance between cost and mission and anticipating how consumers would respond. Look, I think it's a massive opportunity for new companies and entrepreneurs to tackle this with a blank canvas approach. But a lot of established brands and companies 
have fixed notions for pricing and value. And, and, you know, they're kind of stuck in what they're able to do. And they maybe can move a little bit slower. However, maybe a small decision might impact, might have much greater impact due to the scale. However, smaller companies or entrepreneurs can craft their entire offering to consumers from the get-go around incorporating sustainability into their marketing, into their branding, into their pricing, into their business plans to ensure a profitable business from the start with a positioning and a personality of the brand that is more in line with, I guess, the Gen Zers today, right? And they can craft that and, and create that and pivot and change and fix things in a much faster way than, than bigger companies can do so. So it's a massive opportunity. So the advice to them would be is don't discount it. Don't just go for the cheapest options. Think about sustainability, because if you don't do it today, you're going to do it in five years. And doing it five years down the line is a lot more difficult or expensive than to bake it in to your business plan or into your first year of operations from the get-go. Well, thank you for that, Ziad. And before we go to our commitments round, I just want to open the floor. I see lots of questions coming in on a variety of topics. Perhaps you panelists would think about what's missing from the conversation. What's the question that's not coming up? Or what do you think needs more emphasis that you're not seeing in the popular media coverage, in the conference circuit, on the topic of sustainability in food and Bev? Anyone like to jump in? Maybe just raise the hand and I'll call on you. Yeah, Jim, what's missing? Jim from Diageo. Information overload. Throughout the course of 52 minutes, um, we've, we've discussed a lot of uh, complex concepts, highly technical terminology, and acknowledgement of science that is still frankly developing, all of which from a consumer perspective can instill a sense of inertia. So the opportunity is to use our brands, our, our communication prowess, and remember that brands do exist to help consumers navigate complexity. To drive understanding in more consumer-relevant and fun ways is really an opportunity for companies like Diageo uh, and, and others on this panel to drive both brand preference and consumer action. Linda, what's your reaction? I love what you said there, Jim. Consumers are overwhelmed. We actually conducted a personal study during COVID to try to understand changes in consumer sentiment. It was specific to COVID, but we got a ton around sustainability, and they are. They're overwhelmed. They're bombarded with information, and they don't understand it. So I love what you said about using our marketing prowess to help make it simpler for them. Um, and one example of how we're doing that is on our Horizon Organic Dairy brand. We've made a commitment to be carbon positive by 2025, which is a very complicated process that involves partnering with our farmers on regenerative agriculture, renewable energy, carbon offsets. And these are things that most consumers don't understand. And so we're working on how do you kind of take them along the journey of how a glass of milk is produced and what it means to be carbon positive throughout that production process in a simple and compelling way. And I do think that that onus is on us, uh, us as marketers to help them understand those complicated things that are, to Jim's point, changing every day as science and technology advances and we find new ways to produce food and beverages sustainably. Kira, anything you'd add that you see is missing from this conversation? I, I think Jim prompted it beautifully. I mean, I think 
making it easy for consumers to make a difference is really a huge opportunity. And we we all do what we're doing and we'll do more and more of it, as everybody said today. But I love some of the examples. See, I loved your example of the cutlery being a default. I mean, it's the simplest thing in some ways, but I've never seen that in the U.S., And yet it makes me as a consumer feel, hey, I feel good today. I did one small thing. So I think as we think about it, small things that make it easy for the consumer to play their part makes them feel great and empowered and inspired and hopefully encourages them to take more steps. We have an example this weekend at Coachella. We're using the compostable bag in all of our snacks this weekend. Consumer, all they have to do is when they buy the snack, they feel good. And there are bins all over the site, all over the musical fest, music festival for the consumers to put their bags back in. But I, I truly believe, Margaret, in this idea of if I feel good and if you make it easy for me, I'm more likely to take a next step. I'm more likely to do more. And I think it's that groundswell from consumers that would be amazing to see as well. And that would help the positivity and that would help the feeling that we can make we can be all part of the difference. Really interesting. This notion of positivity versus something punitive, I think, is very compelling. Let's go now uh, swiftly to the commitments round. So my question is complex and our time is limited. So with that caveat, we'll start back with Linda, please. What is your brand's commitment to sustainability and how do you measure success at Dano? So with a portfolio of over 20 brands, they have many different commitments, but all in service of achieving our vision of One Planet, One Health and continuing to advance our journey of leveraging business as a force for good. And we have very specific KPIs in place at both the corporate level to measure corporate commitments, um, as well as at the brand level to measure commitments such as becoming carbon positive on Horizon Organic organic by 2025, or becoming 100% recycled plastic on Evian by 2030. So we have those KPIs in place. We measure them um, on a very regular basis and and track our sustainability journey. Same question to Kira, commitment and measurement at Pepsi. We have an awesome corporate program called PepsiCo Positive, Margaret, that enables all and drives all that we do and all of our work and our goals are embedded in PepsiCo Positive, and that trickles down then to the brands. And our commitment on the brands is that every one of our brands will have a people fight and a planet fight, which means that we will do something in every brand to support a people societal change, and we will make sure that our brands are living at our planet fights. And then we track that both from a corporate perspective, but also a lot from a brand and consumer perspective. Do our consumers feel good about this? Do they feel we're doing enough? And does it make them feel closer to our brands? And Jim at Diageo. Going back to the notion of total business effort and making real progress against Diageo's green to glass sustainability action plan um, requires accountability across all functions from supply to demand. So similarly, we require every role to embrace this brand activist mentality, uh, willing to take action with passion, create a flair, and rigor going beyond what's conventional. I had spoken about some of our specific commitments and targets in the domain of water preservation, carbon reduction, and waste reduction. And quite simply, Diageo measures success by measuring whether we have done what we have said we will do. So our success lies in the commitments with which we've made to the world and our investor community. And we're tracking against 25 distinct commitments uh, through 2030. Okay. And finally, Ziad. 
Well, we are committed to sustainable ingredient sourcing, sustainable food delivery logistics, waste management, and energy and water uh, management. However, an extremely measurable and simple metric which we are measuring and which we are targeting is to be 100% packaging sustainable by 2024. Okay, well, thank you. And thank you all for that. And in listening to this panel, it's clear to me that the opportunity for marketing leaders is to profitably build brands that contribute to shaping a more equitable and resilient planet and society. The opportunity for us as individual consumers is to be intentional about our impact on the environment and vigilant in our knowledge in order to support the brands that align with our values. A corollary opportunity that was identified today is the opportunity for marketers to embrace our craft, to tell positive stories, to simplify, to make it accessible to people to feel and to believe they are making a difference in context of food and beverage and the environment with their purchasing behavior and their other brand choices. The perspectives shared by our four panelists today have heightened my conviction that food and beverage brands can be accelerants for environmental and societal progress, and at the same time, drive corporate growth over the long term. I would offer that a well-lived sustainability strategy is a force multiplier. It amplifies responsible, inclusive growth. With that, thank you once again to our panel. Thank you to our audience. So with that, on behalf of the Marketing Society, I'm Margaret Malloy, Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale, thanking you and wishing you a wonderful Earth Day. Thank you all. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.